0: Welcome to the first day of the rest of your
1: lives. My name is Andy Zaremba and with me behind the helm as usual is Mike. Hello everybody. Welcome to the show. Really awesome to be back behind the well behind the helm here and uh, you know it's been a while you've been away for a little bit. Yeah I just came back from another trip to
0: Peru and we might actually do an episode about that again because cool. there's, there's always a lot of you know details to share around these experiences and there's a lot of personal insights that I've gained, and it happens to be of a lot of personal interest to people who listen to this podcast, totally. so maybe we'll dive into that, yeah. but uh, as usual, we're recording out of 70 West Cordova Street here in Vancouver, British Columbia, and uh, we're out of our business, Float House, and if you have no idea what Float House is, you can go to our website, floathouse.ca, and what we offer is flotation therapy, so it's basically a modality for rest and recovery, relaxation, meditation, pain management, all of the above, and if you'd like to learn more about flotation therapy, there's a really good video on YouTube called What is Floating? We created this video. That's a seven-minute synopsis that gives you all the relevant information about all the benefits that flotation therapy has to offer. And, of course, if you'd like to give it a try, you can use the promo code VancouverReal, and that will get you a 20% discount on a single
1: float. Very cool. And um, also, we want to plug uh, Brain and the company is Bennett's Choice. It's a product we carry here and a good friend of ours and actually um I'm we testing have, it out. Are you? First oh, yeah. His new today. product, Brain Beast. Do you want to show that actually? Hold on here. So, so These are nootropics. That uh, one is the, um, that one's the daytime formula. He has a nighttime formula as well. So it's all about obviously brain recovery but then also cognitive performance and like… Just being able to have better focus, memory, energy, and especially instead of just hitting that third or fourth cup of coffee later in the Mm day, um, it's kind of nice to have uh, something that's a little bit more, I don't know, nutritional, I guess you could say, for your brain.
0: apparently it doesn't get you as jittery, but it still gives you that nice energy that can, that sort of phase at the end of the day. Like, I I find my cognition at the end of the day really starts dropping off and like, I'm just kind of just slugging through at that point. So <laughs> right. I'm hoping this will carry me through because I have another interview right after this. There so, you go. Um, anyways, um, Vancouver Real Community, if you'd like to link up with the Vancouver Real Community page, it's on Facebook. Uh, there's also the Mindful Mass Community, and that's also on Facebook, and we run um, quarterly meditations, so free public mass meditations. If you'd like to join up with that group, you can find us on Facebook as well. And lastly, um, I've recently taken over the helm here as the city director for Man Talks Vancouver. And this is how we can tie our guest in today because our guest Angus Reed will be joining us in October for a talk and I'm really excited because the theme of the night is going to be trust or the power of trust, which I think is a really powerful conversation that can be had and I'm really intrigued about your take on it. But first and foremost, welcome to Vancouver Real. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And your website is angusreed 64com if people want to reach out to you. Yeah. Awesome. And you are an ex-professional football player with the BC Lions. And you were in the CFL for a number of years. Thirteen, yeah. Thirteen years. Yeah. In fact, Huge your career. rookie year, we happened to be on the same team. Right. You were, you were your first year in the CFL, I, I believe, a center at that time. Correct. You were a big boy back then, <laughs> and uh, I was the video coordinator on that team. So, oh, yeah? Oh, uh, that was the year I was doing the video coordinating for the them, argos? and uh, it was your rookie year. So that's when we first officially met. Um, but a lot has changed since then and you've had a really long career, which is amazing for anyone playing professional sports because it's so hard on the body, but and now you're out there doing a lot of public speaking, just did a TEDx talk and do you have a book coming as well?
2: I have a book coming out mid-September.
0: Amazing. What's yeah. the book called?
2: Thank You Coach. The subtitle is Learning How to Live by Being Taught How to Play. It's on the, the power of coaching and the transfer, transferability of, of coaching anything to really teaching life.
0: Is there totally. any coach in there in particular that is dedicated towards or like a it's, coach that impacted It's gym? all about one coach. The book is
2: about my 11 year career with my positional coach, Coach Dan Durazio, my offensive line coach. Uh, the moment I met him in 2003, I was in my, heading into my third year and struggling to make it. I really didn't know if I'd make it as a player. I'd been kicked around from the, from the Argos to the Alouettes and to the Lions and never really played. I was really a guy hanging on and then he became our new offensive line coach. And from that moment on, he, he molded me into the player that I became. And this book is about, Everything he taught me that now that I'm retired, I lean back and realize he was teaching me how to live life. And it's mm. structured in, in the way that each each chapter is a lesson uh that, that that gave me a tool to be able to perform in the field, but they were global lessons now that I realize that show you how to you know, how to communicate, how to deal with adversity, how to prepare for things, how to practice, uh, you know, how to have mission statements and all the things that you need in life is told through the story of, of him creating a, myself as the player that I was able to become.
0: Right. So it's great to have that mentor early on. Yeah. Like you said, you weren't even sure if your career was going to last all that long. And like, in the CFL, like, we know what it can be like. it's like It can be a merry-go-round. People get kicked around quite a bit. And I'm sure as a young guy starting off, like that can be frustrating and daunting and like questioning, is this something that I really want to do? Well, look,
2: it tests you because I, I came out on I, – it's
0: ridiculous. I was the number one pick of the Argos, fourth pick overall.
2: I got cut at the end of training camp. I might be the only athlete to ever be able to say that. A number one pick, I never even played it down. (laughs) Not because I held out, because they cut me. So here you are in the emotional swing of being a young kid right out of college. You hit that high of being a number one draft pick. You know, you think you're on top of the world and you've made it. And you don't even make the team. And you're their number one pick. So that's quite a fall. You know, you can think of the the roller coaster. Then I was fortunate the Alouettes picked me up and threw me on the practice roster. So here I am. Now I'm just scrambling to survive. Right. Uh, 12, 13 weeks there. And then they trade me to the line. So here I am getting traded. And I'd never even played it down, so I'm wondering, you know, are they just trying to get rid of me? And now you come back, you think you're with your hometown team, but the reality is you, you, you've been on three teams now, you've never played one down. And I finished my first season on the practice roster, and, hmm. and there's your first year. Uh, you've been a journeyman, and you've never played a down a football, so you start questioning everything, and you wonder, you know, is this for me? Do I have what it takes? And it's amazing how, how strong the emotional component is to this, to be able to hold on and keep going because my body was the same. It was, you know, when I was the number one pick and you know, you're, you're able to level. Yeah. Things are what they are. It's, yeah. it's the ability to handle those types of emotional swings and that adversity and just keep focused on getting better today. What can I do right now? And realizing the next step that you have to take sometimes physically, where am I stepping next? Mm. And that's all that really matters. And, and I was fortunate to be able to keep doing that till I came across a, a coach that was able to mold what I had and, and I just kept doing you know, everything I, that was asked of me to the best of my ability, and I'm a firm believer that good things work out for people that are willing to stay focused on the work and just keep moving forward.
0: So what was it about this coach that, uh, that really helped you turn the corner? Because obviously you were in a lot of turmoil at the, at the early beginnings of your career. Um, and when did things start to turn around and look on the up and up for you?
2: I think it was he wasn't so concerned of what I, what I couldn't do. It was all about let's maximize what you can do. And when you get to the professional level, you've got to realize it's, it's all about judging. I mean, they're judging you. They're evaluating you is what they'll say. But it's, it's judging you every day because their job is to find players that can win. And generally speaking, at the pro level, they're not trying to mold people into winners. They're just finding them and paying them. And I was so fortunate that I ran into a coach that was interested in developing a player, which is kind of rare in pro sports today. You know, Mm. you get paid because you can do it. And if you can't, they'll find someone that can. And he was all about working with what I had and finding ways that he could maximize that instead of saying, you know, you're not good enough at this. Uh, You know, that creates frustration and then you just... You just panic and do what the best you can. He said, "Listen, all you got to do every day is is give me your energy, and I'll give you the guidance." And it, it let me really, uh, really just focus on whatever was instructed of me. And I know we'll get into trust, but you build that trust. Where I trusted my coach hmm. so much that he was really looking out for me and trying to make me the best players uh, that I could be. Where a lot of situations are, you know, you're kind of weary of a coach because you think. He's, the, he's out to get you, all, maybe,
0: or you're being evaluated all the time. Every time. time.
2: And, right. and, and their job is to see if you're good enough or not, and that's it. And mm-hmm. then get rid of you if you're not, instead of going, how can I help you? How can I help you? And you no, know, I, go, I go into depth of this in the book, but it was every which way he dealt with me, it reinforced that trust that I knew he was interested in making me better, period. And, and, and all I had to do then was apply energy and what a great situation that is to be where you, you lose that paranoia, where you think, you know, every, every false step, they're going to judge me and get rid of me. And that, that really does not allow you to progress because you're right. kind of handcuffed with that fear and panic where yeah. I could let go and just, and just be okay failing. Cause I'm just trying every day to get better. And it's shocking the progress that can be made when, when you, when you kind of let go and give to the given, you know, allow yourself to to become part of the process instead of just panic, you know, panic and, and fearfully trying to hold on. Right. Yeah.
0: One of the things that really stood out to me that you said there was being okay with failure. Yeah. And I think that's a huge thing that a lot of people have trouble with and really have trouble even just getting started with because of the fear of judgment, fear of failure. It's so programmed into us not to fail. And then if you fail that there's something wrong with you. And then, you know, it's, and in a sense, at that level, if you do fail enough, like you're going to be gone. So sure. there are real consequences. Yeah, and, too, and so you but, should. Yeah, right. So there is like that fine line of like you know giving the devil its due in that sense. But um, how did you start overcoming the fear of failure uh, when you're being under, under such scrutiny? I would say. Well,
2: I can tell you what my coach did, and I would advise this to anybody that is is coaching or mentoring anybody. And it sounds so subtle, but it's huge. All the mistakes that I would make, and I made a ton, believe me. I was a mess when, when he got a hold of me. We would deal with the technique as the problem, not me as the problem. And it's, it's, a, it's a subtlety in the language, but it was the footwork that sucked. I didn't suck. And a lot of people, a lot of coaches don't think that through when they're talking to people right. about the mistakes. And they just globally address the mistake. And generally the student or the apprentice, they interpret that as I'm, I'm screwing up. Where it's, you know, the footwork was wrong or the hand placement was wrong. And and when you do little things like that, it removes the ego guarding that you're not attacking me. We're just dealing with the problem. So
0: reframing where it's not it's not you, it's just there's something technically wrong it, yeah, with the Yeah, there's what
2: nothing wrong doing. with you. There's something wrong with where you put your hands right. or, or, or how your footwork went or where your eyes were. And to me, that enabled me to separate myself is the problem too. A technique is the problem and it really opens your mind to learning instead of guarding and panicking going, oh, they're going to get rid of me because they don't like me. He thinks I suck. No, my hand placement sucked Hmm. and that's okay. And I think you make the problem the problem, not the person. And then you can fix it together because nobody's attacking anybody and he's not judging me. We're just dealing with the issue. Yeah. And that sounds so simple, but I think a lot of us forget that when we're, when we're talking to people, Man. particularly insecure, uh, some you know, an insecure person that is nervously trying to make something happen. They're holding on to every word their coach, mentor, teacher is saying. And if you frame it incorrectly, they're going to believe that you think they suck. And all of a sudden, now I go to panic mode and, and either you fall apart right there or you stop trying because you're worried of failure and now you sort of play in that protective mode, and, and that's no good either. So he was great at dealing with the issue, which would have been the technique, and not me. I was never the so issue. So not personalizing no. it,
0: reframing it as a technical issue, Correct. and we're going to work on it. Yes. And this leads me to another question of, there's this idea of focusing on your strengths as opposed to worrying about all your weaknesses. So how much time would you recommend, this could be you know equated in on the football field or in life in general, but... But how much time should somebody work on, say, the things that they can improve and their flaws versus, like, doubling down on the things that they're really good at? I think you got to
2: pull back originally and look at what's needed. What's needed for your goal? Where I think a lot of people try to work on their weaknesses and, or, or they'll do the opposite without really assessing what actually do I need for this. Just because you have a weakness, it might, it might be irrelevant to what you're trying to pursue in life. So you're just wasting energy. You know, my big thing is to try to become a complete person probably means you're not great at anything. Because the energy it takes to fill in all those gaps is going to pull from the energy to pursue what you're great at. Mm, so yeah. <clears throat> I think a lot of people will, will get down on themselves of their weakness or double down on the strengths without really assessing specifically what are you trying to get done. Right. And, and if you don't do that first, then, then everything becomes irrelevant. And the beautiful thing about football and what smart coaches do is they will ideally assess the talent they have overall. And they will mold game plans that will allow you or allow them to maximize the talent we have while minimizing the weaknesses. That's a coach's job. Okay. Now you're constantly trying to pull up weak areas that would hurt you from 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 playing to your maximum, but not just fixing weaknesses if they if they're irrelevant to the goal. So right. you need to assess where you're at, where, where you really are strong and weak. But you need to really know what you're trying to get done, mm. and then look at which things matter and, and play to your strengths there. Uh, mitigate the the weaknesses wherever you can shore up what you got to. But you know, if it doesn't really matter and it's a weakness, then it doesn't really matter. And you're just wasting energy on something. That's not getting to where you want to go because you and I might have the same strengths and weaknesses, but we have different goals.
0: Right. So (laughs) there's no point in us correcting both of them to the same level. Totally. Um, I think knowing where you want to go is hugely important. And it's that idea of purpose and meaning all wrapped up into one little bundle. And I'm going to go on a limb and say that you could take a lot of what you've learned through your playing experiences and coaching uh, that you've had, and you can apply that to like, real life. Not that that's not real life, but like, apply that to people who field. aren't <laughs> playing pro- professional sure. football, sure. right? Um, so how do you recommend somebody start working towards like, their purpose or finding an aim in life? Like you said, like, if you're trying to correct your strengths or weaknesses or whatever they are, and you don't even know where you're going, right. what good is that? So how can people, well, how can people figure out where they want to go? Well,
2: my the way I went about things, I didn't choose the sport as the end within itself. I just was looking for outlets that let me express who I was and what I like to do. And I think too many people try to chase a career because it's a title that that sounds like what they want to do. You know, you want to become a professional football player. You want to be an mm. entrepreneur, so you'll just do whatever. And I kind of backed out of that and said, why? And what I did was looked at what, what, what makes me tick as a person. And, it, and that's kind of... Uh, more of a vague statement, but you got to start there and go. What 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 do you love to do? And the way I always tell people is, what did you like to do when you're three, four, five years old, when you didn't think about this stuff? What were mm. you? What were you? What did you gravitate to? Did you like to build things? Did you like to uh, sit quietly and, and and solve puzzles? Me, I like to perform. When I was a kid, I look back and I and I have a real artistic. Uh, Talent. I'm a drawer, so I I draw, but really I perform. I love to perform in front of crowds. That's what I'm not scared of. That that's what lights you up. It gives me the juice. Right. Since I was a little guy, I'm I'm the youngest of uh, four of five boys, and I have a little sister. So big family. And I was the one putting on concerts, being in front of everyone, putting on the show, and never for a moment was I shy. And I like. And I was a big kid, so I like being big and strong. I like to perform. And so as I get a little bit older, you start trying to trying to chase boxes, right? Like, what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, I don't know, but I just love to do this. I love to be big and strong. I love to perform. So for me, football became an acceptable outlet that met the requirements of what I enjoyed instead of going, well, pick football. Okay, what do I got to do? Well, you got to go be big and strong. You got to be okay. Well, I don't like to do those things and you'll find a way. Right. I think people got to back and go, look, what do you love to do? And some people say, well, I don't know. Well, look back. What did you do before it mattered? What did you do before there were consequences? What did you do before you had to do anything? And study yourself and, and say, mm-hmm. you know, were, were you introvert? Were you an extrovert? Did you did you like to be by yourself? And did you, did you need to be in front of people? You know, what what did you like to do in front of people? So for me, it was. It was entertaining and being big and strong. I wasn't a physical guy. Like, I didn't want to get in fights. And I didn't need football to take out aggression. So to me, that didn't do anything for me. I was okay with, with the contact in the sport. But I loved to be in front of a crowd. I realized I like working with other people. And, and I like I like being big and strong in my own way. I like being big and strong and, and, and performing that. So football fit the void. So right. Right. it matched my strengths. I had to shore up whatever weaknesses I needed to be able to do that, but just enough to be able to do that and then keep playing to my strengths. And that made me happy.
0: Right. So for people out there who are, who are looking for that same purpose, you suggest going back into, like, what lit you up as a child, like, looking at those past things and, like, And diving into exploring those again. Like maybe you were an artist. Maybe you were great at sports. Maybe you were an introvert and you wanted to read a lot or you want – you know, whatever. So like going back to those initial things that lit you up at a younger age could be an indicator of where you should go or want to go. I think it's a place to start
2: start if you don't know, right? And some people – always know what they like to do, but some people have forgotten because life got in the way and we got busy, uh, trying to appease social norms, trying to fit in and trying to make other people happy. And you, you do that so long you forget who you are and what you like because you're just trying to do what sounds good or what looks good on Instagram or some Mm. other nonsense. Right. So, and let me pull back one other step because I think this is a, a huge conversation. I went into football because it, it, it was a vessel for me to do what I love to do. Okay. And then you play it for so long, what happens to a lot of people is it becomes who they are. And I, and I cannot stress enough the importance of not allowing that to happen. Because one day it'll end. You know, for athletes, it usually ends earlier than, than other businesses. But even business owners, it's going to end. And maybe you're fortunate enough to sell it for boatloads of money or, or whatever may happen. It ends. And if you have now allowed that to become who you are, well, then you've ended. And mm. now you go to that void. So the big thing for me was football was an outlet for me to be me. When football ended, I'm still me. You know, football wasn't me. It was just what I did that allowed me to express the things I love to do. Mm-hmm. Where so many people now, you know, I'm a football player. This is everything. And they build this brand around it or whatever they may be doing. And their business becomes who they are. Mm-hmm. And they forget that that's not who they are at all. That's just what they're doing.
0: Or well, their business. or Whatever. You know, what even a big one is parenting. Sure. Like parents yeah. get, like, you know, you raise a child for 18 to 20 years or even longer potentially. And, like, they get so wrapped up in that identity of I'm a mom or I'm a parent. And then, and then their kid leaves the nest, and who am I now? Right. right. And you it's get It's a that, big problem.
2: You know, and, and I can't stress it enough. And, you know, sports is tough because if you're successful at it, you're, you're praised, you're loved, people know who you are. And, you know, in today's world, you, you, you double down on that because you can monetize it, and you're making money off this. And now you get lost in who you really are, and that becomes – you become the brand. Mm. And when that's over –
0: then what? Now, who are you? <laughs> and so
2: the one thing I was pretty good at, I think maybe just because I played long enough to see that that happen, right? Where I had to realize I'm not a football player. It's what I do. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm proud of it. But at the end of the day, it, it's it's just what allowed me to be me. So when it's over, I'm still me. Yeah. I, I, I'm still me. And I think that's a, a lesson that more people need to remember. And you can be great at what you do, give everything you've got. You should be proud and love what you do, but it, it cannot be... Who you are, yeah. how you go about it, is who you are, and that can never be taken away from you.
0: You know, one of the ideas I've been playing around with a lot lately is this idea of not being too attached to any identity, yeah, because it's like that identity is going to com- shift continually over time, right? Like right now you're speaking, but in right. ten years from now, who knows what you're going to be doing? Like, it's really difficult to predict exactly what we're going to be doing in life. I think because it's like life's going to throw a curveball at us, and we're, we're living somewhere else, or we have a new opportunity come up, or whatever. And, I, and one thing that I think served myself really well is just not being so set on who I am and saying that this is, and like getting stuck in that box. Because right. it becomes a box I find it's very difficult to break out of sometimes.
2: Yeah, and I think you guys, you know, you noted when I came in, I, I don't physically look like I did when I was playing. That's for sure. And How much weight did you lose, by the about, way? Probably about 80, 75, 80 pounds. I, yeah. I don't weigh myself anymore cause, because it's irrelevant to life. Right. right? It yeah. used to matter. Right. Now, now it's about being healthy. So as long as I feel good, that's the only, the only judgment I have. And I, I played about. Three hundred five, three hundred eight pounds. that's solid. I'm probably two hundred and thirty something now, maybe give or take. Yeah, because I'm not an offensive lineman anymore. And and you're you're absolutely right. People people lock into to to believing they are what they're doing. And some people can never let that go. And I'm a big believer in be where your feet are. My, my feet are here now. They're not on the field. So right. why am I trying to still be that person? And for some, that's physically that person. You know, I had to be. 305 pounds to do that career and I, and I did it and I did what it took and I ate that food and I lifted those weights (laughs) because it allowed me to do the things I loved, which was entertaining, being big and strong, working with people and having the joy of winning together and, and strategizing and all those things. But when it was over, I didn't need to be 305 pounds and I didn't need to be this huge guy that I'd been for 20 some odd years. So why? You let go, right? Be, be right. where your feet are. My feet aren't on a field anymore, so be who I need to be now, which is a, a a father that needs to be healthy and and able to do other things, and and not hold on to an image of mm-hmm. what I what I think everyone loves me for. So I need to be that to be somebody, and just let
0: go.
1: Do you feel like your um, that physical transformation since it was so yeah relatively dramatic and such a, it's a huge loss, eighty pounds or so? Um, did that contribute to like to really kind of like, was it almost like, yeah. yeah, it was like a physical representation of you shedding that last role you were in.
2: Yeah, I think it's all all done at the same time. I would, uh, you know, I, and I made the decision quickly. I mean, I had to get three discs taken out of my back it was my last surgery. And wow. I knew when I was coming out of that, I saw guys that kind of lied to themselves and say, okay, I've been doing this for so long, take six months off and you retire, then, then I'll start losing the weight. And the reality is if you've, played football long enough arthritis is knocking at your door and if you're an offensive lineman you're probably gonna put 30 pounds on because you're not going you're gonna, you're just gonna have fun eating eat habits you want for six yeah, months yeah. and then good luck good luck starting when the knees have all locked up and you're right. 40 pounds heavier than you already are been good, overweight good so point. i mean i made the decision physically to start immediately mm-hmm. and I, I think you're probably right one equals the other I believe it's some... I don't know if people think the opposite way, but I think the easiest way to start is the physical transformation and the psychological comes along with it mm. because all of a sudden, you're so disciplined on new a new way of eating, new way of training. That just shifts your entire life now, mm-hmm. right? So instead of believing you're this, this big guy in the room, well, that's impossible because all I care about is eating healthy, moving around, being active, and changing my how I'm physically moving, uh, living. Psychologically, you're in a totally different space just from that. Right, and yeah. then... Uh, that in itself becomes so contagious that you're enjoying this process. Why would I want to be the big guy that sits around all day and all I can do is squat, absurd weight, and then eat tons of food and sit around all day? <laughs> well, you're good at
0: lifting yeah. heavy things. Yeah, yeah. but like
2: <laughs> that was fun then, but here I am in a different space yeah. and, and I'm really feeling great physically about it. So emotionally, this is what I want to be because I'm loving it.
0: Yeah. yeah. I cool. found it really interesting. I was on this retreat, I was just at, I was with uh, this guy named Kyle Kingsbury. He's a ex U- UFC fighter. And he's a monster like he's like you know six four six five shredded lean probably I estimate two forty and he's a professional fighter and you know being usually being one of the bigger guys in the room it's just interesting being around a guy like that and you're like this guy could end me whenever he wants, <laughs> and, and I'd be like, "It's part of the surrender." It's like, okay, just, just be okay with that. He's capable of doing that, but uh, but sure enough, he was a nice enough guy, super nice guy, actually. But it's just like, yeah, that, that's another part of that identity because sure. so it's, as like a big guy for sure. You get attached to it being like, yeah, people don't mess with you, and all of a sudden it's like, oh wait, now there's now I'm not the biggest guy in the room, right? Yeah, and
2: you got to be good with that. And I think that also comes down to being comfortable in your own skin because you're right. Mm-hmm. Since I was. I don't know, eighteen, nineteen years old. I've been a three hundred pound guy, triple XL. You know, you go in the gym and everyone would look because you just keep adding plates to the bars, and you're always the strongest guy everywhere. And you know, especially playing in my hometown, you were known by everyone, and you're you're just this big guy, right? You had to, you, you had to, you could only wear sweatpants because nothing else fit you, and everyone knew who you were, and, and you got respect for that, or, or you thought you did. I don't know. And here you are now. I'm, I'm wearing XL T-shirts off the rack, which I haven't done since I was fifteen years old, and. Nobody really looks twice because I'm just. Isn't that fun
0: when you can buy clothes off the it's rack? It's fascinating.
2: It's cheaper too, and and, and just oh my being have to go to stores. No more and buy big it. and tall stores. No, and yeah, you know you don't feel like a skipper from Gilligan's Island anymore, and you can kind of wear whatever you want. Yeah. And, but yeah. you're right. You, you walk into rooms now, and and you're kind of unassuming. You're just kind of a normal guy. Like, yeah, I'm 230 pounds, but that's nothing out of the ordinary in today's world. And yeah, you know, you, what's interesting is I really like it. Because it, mm. it it's I'm I'm happy just me I don't I don't need that I don't I don't need to make sure everyone recognizes me that I'm the big guy in this, and that's what has made me feel good that I'm true to 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 what I talk about I'm not bsing people where I'm saying you know you got to be able to let the past go but secretly I'm struggling and still needing everyone to recognize right, me right. I don't care right. I, I'm happy being who I am I'm proud of what I've done but I don't need to carry it with me. It's in the past. I'd rather right. live in today's world and, and be what i got to be today to be happy and healthy. Mm-hmm. So
0: now you've transitioned pretty successfully out of that football career into a speaking career. And that's an interesting transition for sure. And I'm wondering, um, you know, what what has enabled you to to make that lateral shift fairly easily? Because it seems like, again, part of your nature because you like to be an entertainer, like to be in front of people, uh, so it seems like a natural progression. But it seems like you've made that jump. Quite well, where some people might get stuck in their old identities. maybe Yeah,
2: maybe. And I it didn't make it immediately. It would kind of blended as I was playing. I think throughout my career, you, you start doing speaking while you're playing without right. without a real plan. Yeah. The team would have uh, school programs, so you'd be in the schools. And, and trust me, if you can hold the attention of a ninth grader for forty five mm. minutes. <laughs> Adults are easy, right. right? They're not ninth graders are not polite. Like, if they're, you can't keep their attention, you done. suck. You've yeah. you got to be good. And right. if you can hold their attention, adults are easy. But you, we would do that. And then as my career progressed, you'd start being asked to do uh, you know, sports banquets. And then near my last few years, all of a sudden, you're getting asked by businesses to come in and speak to sales teams on winning and success and teamwork and all the things they're trying to achieve from, from cha- and, and pulling from championship sports culture. And what I realized is I loved it. And I think because it it fit the bill of performing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And speaking, I guess I gravitated towards, it It wasn't something I was scared of, but just over time I refined it and realized, okay, this allows me to continue what I love to do. Performing in Mm -hmm. front of people Listen, winning. Let's not kid ourselves. You do a good job. You feel like you've brought value and you've given you've given the crowd something that they can take away from that, like we did at a game. And it's slightly different, but it's the same thing. You feel like you've put in an honest hours of work, and and you've given people their 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 time's worth. And I felt really good because I, I would get I, you'd get feedback, and I didn't go in with a business model, but all of a sudden you get asked to to do more, and people are reaching out. You're going, okay, well. If I'm if I'm needed and people are seeing value, then
0: let's start working on this. Right. So, what is, what are some of the core things that you speak on generally?
2: My big talk that I'd been doing for quite a long time was what it really takes to make it, because or what it really takes to win. You know, even though I was say 300, 305 pounds, being barely six foot one, I was still. Kind of the small one of the smallest linemen in the league. You're talking about offensive linemen,
0: at the pro they're, level. Mo- they're monsters six foot four
2: to six foot seven. Okay, and right. forget the body weight. These guys have wingspans that you know could wrap around my body four times in a boa <laughs> constrictor. Right? These are massive human beings, yeah. Right? They think about uh, they're they're, they're they're basketball forwards that just happen to be 320 pounds. I'm thinking
0: about uh, Patrick Cabongo. No, oh, right well, now. he's
2: you know, he's Patrick Cabongo's six foot eight and played about 380 pounds. <laughs> wow. You know, these are guys that are massive human beings and i'm the guy that was shoving my face with food all day just to be small just to be big enough just to make it right so i was always small undersized uh, playing against guys bigger than me so what it took for me was a lot more than just showing up a lot more than them uh, you know calling uh, just wanting me to show up because i was bigger than everybody and i realized all the intangibles it took and i i speak about the power of having a vision now i was never a really a goal guy i was more of a vision guy i think because of my artistic nature Okay. I, I would visualize exactly what I wanted it to be. Right down to shoelaces. And I would chase the vision. I would chase it every day. And I, I got to the point where it would haunt me. It would haunt me to the point that it would get me up early to work out, keep me keep me up late training, and it would help me avoid the negative peer pressure. All would the you bad say? Things.
1: The difference between a vision and a goal, from your perspective, then, is like a vision is something obviously like that you can visually imagine versus like a goal might be something that you like articulate and write down. Is it more just like you're seeing images versus words? Kind yeah, of. Yeah, and
2: maybe because I'm an artistic guy, but I'm right. gonna I'm gonna press you one step further and not say imagine, but. I challenge people that go the visualization route. And I don't mean visualize yourself just doing the activity because I did that. But I mean actually building the vision of what you, what you want to become. Seeing it so clearly down to every fine detail. That takes a lot of imagination work. But you got to carve it to the point that now you can't erase it. Where, where a goal, eh, you might be able to change the wording next week. And you might be able to tweak it and change it. But if you carve a vision and you work hard enough at it, it it's burned in there. And Now I always talk about you got to build it to the point that it haunts you. Mm. Now you can't get rid of it. You can't change it. And it's going to get you up early. Mm. It's going to be sitting there staring you in the head when you have decisions to make against uh, food or or doing stupid things tonight with your buddies or blowing off the workout to that. And it, it, it just haunts you right. like this big guardian angel saying, no, here I am. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you can't look away from me. And it, it, it really drove me. Mm. And the way I worked on that was I looked at the great players that I wanted to be like. And I spent a lot of time studying film pictures and I morphed myself from looking at them to making that me. And I got to the point that it, it never, it, I couldn't get rid of it now. And it was kind of, I talk about so it became an obsession, obsession, 100% obsession. And that's what enabled yeah. me to go to the levels that I was willing to go to, because unlike a goal, maybe you forget it. Maybe you don't didn't place it in the right spot. Maybe you changed it. Maybe erase it. Maybe you don't want to look at it today. you couldn't shut this off. Mm, You really, really couldn't shut it off.
0: It seems like that is such a key component to being successful in life is having that obsessive mentality about whatever you're going for. And if you don't have that, the funny thing is is there's going to be 10 guys that are willing to go that way if you're not going to be work that hard for it. So you have to work that hard for it if you want it. And the problem I think comes in, it's like, well, yes, you're, you're hyper successful in this one area, but then I mean, maybe that's all people wanted—a life. But then there's also this idea of like, you know, lifestyle and like wanting to live a like a holistic and natural or um, like full round, well, rounded life as opposed to like being completely buried in business or a career of some type or a sport or whatever. Now, how do you how do you mitigate that? Is it just basically knowing that you what you want, or how do you deal with that?
2: Well, you know, I I, I have no idea what other people think or how they feel. You know, and I think it's. It's not right for, for me to tell anyone else how to live their life, right? Everybody has to seek happiness, any which way form works for them. For me, I have no interest in being well rounded, because to me, uh, that means being just as good as you are bad. Because that's balance, right? Balance means you know you you do everything kind of the same, which is impossible to do anything great then, because that would to do anything great is at the expense of, of something else, right? To do anything great means to do it extreme. To do anything extreme uh, it happens at at, at the uh, absence of, of some other part of your life. So like, look at any great athlete. Uh, the world's greatest sprinters, they couldn't jog a lap of the track. You know, they're so extreme at what they do at, at the expense of every other attribute. Now, that doesn't mean, uh, you know, I don't want to experience other things, but... My vision is going to drive me to something because I want to maximize my ability to go as far as I can down the road. That's happiness to me. Happiness to me is knowing that I have maximized the gifts that have been given to me and I've aligned them with, a, with an outlet that lets me express them to the very best that my ability. And if I don't do that, then I am not really appreciative of what's been given to me. You know, we all have our gifts, and I don't think everyone's been given the gift to be great at absolutely everything in this world because it's impossible. And so for me, it was about exploring what makes you tick, and like we've already talked about. I know what I like to do. I know what gets me excited, and so I look for outlets that let me do that, and there's millions out there, so you pick one that kind of is available to you and is accessible. And then I want to go far down that rabbit hole as possible so you know, at the end of the day, whenever I've exhausted it, I couldn't do more. I couldn't have done more. See, happiness to me is leaving nothing on the table. And and leaving something on the table is is to do everything in balance because you, you can't. You can't go all out in everything. Mm-hmm. So that's for me is, you know, what makes you tick? What's an outlet that's appropriate for that where you can bring value to others? So it's not a selfish way to do it. How can I bring value to others while maximizing what I love to do? And how far can I go down that rabbit hole so I don't have to look back and go, I could, I could have done more if I, if I put a little more into it. And you can only do that with a few things. Now, you can do multiple things over life, but not at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how long i we went on the speaking career, and I've already morphed into writing now. Uh, but if I'm going to do it, I'm going all in because it's the only way I can see happiness is once, once whatever task I've chosen is, com- is completed or exhausted. I need to have known I gave it absolutely everything. And to me, that's impossible while being a balanced person
1: right
0: but that 's me, yeah, no, it makes complete sense because I mean you have to be willing to make sacrifices, right Correct. I mean, look at the greatest people at whatever they do, like look at Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or these people that just pour everything into their business, but then maybe like they 've left some of their you know they might regret not spending time with their families yeah. and things like that, but it 's these trade offs and sacrifices that you have to consider. And I, th- I think it's all, well, it's all life choices. Yeah. And
2: I think for me, the one thing I safeguard against, and I'm I'm trying to learn how to journal now, like I'm really mm. trying, I've always been very, uh, very self-aware, but just in mental thoughts, which isn't enough sometimes, sometimes you, it just comes and goes because you're so busy doing right, yeah. what you want to do. But I'm trying to make sure that, you know, as far as I'm trying to push down whatever rabbit hole I'm chasing, that I'm not hurting the people that matter most. And, and, with, and neglect is a big way to hurt them, right? So mm-hmm. there is... I don't want to use the word balance, but you carve out time, time for, for things really, that really matter, mm. and you come back to your earlier, earlier statement of strengths and weaknesses. To me, it's 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 knowing exactly what do you want in life, and then how can you maximize the abilities to get those things and get rid of everything else. Mm. You know, I, there's a great quote from quote from uh, who I who I believe is the greatest competitor in, in sports history. His name's Dan Gable, the greatest wrestler He's in the history. Yeah. Correct, and he has a famous quote that if it matters to you, do it every single day, and if it doesn't don't do it at all Mm. or something along those lines. And Mm. basically know what matters to you and then do that every day. You know, if you love your wife, tell her every single day, if you love your kids, tell them every single day, you know, if, if, if whatever it may be that, that isn't part of what matters to you, why are you doing it at all? and it's it's getting to the bottom of, of what makes you tick what, what's important and making sure you're not neglecting those things. So as far as I go down you know the rabbit hole wanting to be the best speaker possible or the best writer what I, what I'm saying now is the best messenger I'm, I'm trying to use every medium possible to share things I've learned to the next generation but while while reminding myself everything that matters and that's that but there's there's my family you know with my with my my young child and making sure that you're not hurting them or neglecting them and being blinded by this. And so you got to know what matters. You got to make room for each part that matters. And that's usually at the expense of getting rid of everything that doesn't really matter.
0: Mm, Right. Right. And, uh, talking about speaking, you're going to be speaking at the man talks events coming up. And, uh, well, you talked about being a messenger and spreading that message to as many people as you can. What are some of the key messages that you like to speak on and, and and why are they so important? Like why have you chosen those to help impact people?
2: Well, I just finished a recent TEDx talk that came out came online I think a month ago. It was called Mastering the Skill of Trust. And I spoke on that because I've been out of football for four years now and you you know, you do so much speaking in the corporate world and you're trying to trying to find out how you can help. So to find out how you can help, you gotta find out what's wrong. Right, and you see the big buzzword everyone's talking about is culture. Everyone wants to improve their culture, and, and kind of this trust has become this big word in today's in today's society, where there's such a lack of trust, and mm. and that's the one thing that's missing. We have more information than ever, right? But nobody trusts anything. So without that, it's really hard to get things done because everyone is scared to take a chance because nobody trusts that person the person they're working with, or you know, for whatever reason. So I, I started digging into the, this concept of trust, and I leaned back on my. My football career, and I realized the sport (laughs) is—you think people think football is about a lot of things, but at its core, it's 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 a game of trust. You know, you you can have all this talent or skill or 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 play calling or whatever you want, but bottom line is, it's eleven or twelve guys, depending on which side of the board you're playing, that absolutely have to trust each other, or you can't do anything. The speed that you move in that play, the play gets called. If everybody doesn't trust that everyone's going to do what they're supposed to do, nobody could do anything. And so I started looking back, say, well how do we do that then? I look at this corporate world and people don't trust anyone to do simple tasks. Like right. nobody, nobody trusts anybody. How are we able to move at this, you know, at, at the maximum speed with our careers on the line, needing, needing you to do what you're going to do and knowing you're going to do it. And how did we do that?
0: Yeah. It's, just for people that don't know, like, there is something about the coordination of just one play in football that is so powerful because everyone's going a hundred percent full out for like three to four seconds. Right. And, and everyone does have this trust that is inherent in there that everyone's going to do what they're supposed to do, and I feel like that's one sport where they've really they've really nailed that aspect.
2: Yeah, of it. I mean, let's for for your listeners that aren't really familiar with football, but you know, everyone's seen a play and everyone's watched a bit of a game. Uh, let's just take a general general snapshot here, just to snap the ball, just to snap the ball on offense. Trust has to be paramount from the huddle call of everyone has to know exactly the play and exactly the, the count that the ball is going to be snapped on. You've got to trust that, or else there's offsides. No one yeah. have, That's even to get something started, or you can't snap the ball. Yeah. Okay, so we snap the ball. Let's call it a, a passing play. Everyone knows the quarterback gets the ball. He goes back. He looks to throw the ball at someone. Well, the quarterback drops back, let's say, three or four steps. His eyes are com- always downfield. Okay. Meanwhile, there's four to five guys that are 290 to 310 pounds <laughs> trying to kill him, running at him full speed. He doesn't look at them. Not for a second. He right. can't. Okay, he's got, you know, I'm one of the five guys up front that are trying to protect him and block these guys from taking his head off. He never once looks at them. You want to talk about trust. <laughs> when you are trusting five guys yeah. to protect uh, your butt from a 290-pound guy that's paid good money to hit you as hard as humanly possible, <laughs> yeah. and you don't even look, you don't even flinch. Okay, your eyes are on where they got to be. Yeah. That is trust. Yeah. And, uh, and you can hear them breathing. You can feel the sweat coming at you. And sometimes they do hit you. So it's not one of these fairytale beliefs right. where, well, it'll never really happen. Oh, it happens. So they have the reality of knowing that it does happen, and it hits, and it hurts hard. But their eyes are downfield. Now, the receiver that's running down you know, 10, 15, 20 yards to catch this ball, he never turns around. Okay? He's running his route. Or full speed. Full speed. You know, whatever the route mm-hmm. may be called, 10 yards, he's going to run straight, then he's going to turn on a 45-degree angle, or whatever. Right. The, receiver, the quarterback will throw the ball long before the receiver is where he's going to end up. Because you know, they trust that what they discussed in the huddle, he's right. actually going to do. In real speed while they're trying to avoid other people and all this other mess that's going on there so the ball's in midair going to some place the receiver's not there yet the receiver's not looking at the ball he's just running to where he's supposed to run trusting that a ball will show up (laughs) the quarterback is looking at that having no regard for the four monsters that are going to try to destroy him yeah. Okay. then in the last second the receiver is able to turn back and the ball lands nicely in his hands <laughs> and we gain 30 yards and everyone cheers like what a magical play that was without any realization of the intricacies that went on yeah. that have nothing to do with talent let, let me reinforce that that, that concept I don't, you can improve talent all you want if, if each piece of trust isn't there that quarterback can never throw the ball he's going to run around terrified that he's going to get his head taken off right. that receiver is never going to run blindly because he doesn't trust the ball is going to be thrown. he's going to be looking the whole time Right? There's a lot of components here that talent doesn't fix. It's trust. And I looked at that going, okay, that is that is the link. You know, you can improve talent in your sales force anywhere through the business line. I can bring in better receivers, better quarterbacks. But if you don't have trust, none of this matters. Hmm. You You can't do anything. You can have the best... A sales plan or, or, or best systems in sports or business. If there isn't trust, nobody can go full speed without making sure the other, without looking at the other person, knowing what they're going to do, just to be able to blindly do it. And I, I say this in my talks, you know, with without that trust, you've regulated yourself to hope and nobody can do full speed at hope, mm. right? It's hesitant. You're not sure. Right? You're, you're kind of hoping, but when you trust, you know. And I looked at that and I, and I kind of looked at how did we do it in football? How have they, because you're right, the sport has really hit it on the head for teamwork and work together. And it's built into the sport. There's a system to building trust. And I think we'd all agree what a buzzword trust is and, and people write books on it, and talk about it. But I really... Failed to find someone that had broken it down to a formula.
0: An experience, to, a, to experience Well, to it, an actual to actually,
2: practical, this right. is what you do. A plus B plus C equals trust. Mm. And I looked at the sport of football and I looked at what we did. And and there is a formula embedded in the sport. And I pulled that out and I looked at my upbringing with my family and we're very close. And I said, wow, we did the same formula. Mm. And I'm looking at this going, this formula is repeatable anytime, place, anywhere. And it works. And it takes time, it takes dedication. So, that was what my TEDx talk was on. And, I, and I've been brought into businesses how to speak a lot on it because, you know, concepts are great and everyone believes trust is important. So, what do we do? And, I, and I've seen how the sport goes, this is what you do, and this is how you, you, you build it. How do thing.
0: they start building it into the team like that? Like, how? So, it's probably <laughs> inherent into the sport, but also there's got to be a lot that happens at the organizational level to, to facilitate sure, that. Sure. Well,
2: you know, I'm going to talk about actual practical application, and it's that little place called the huddle. Hmm. Okay. So it's built into the sport where, you know, everyone knows in between, in between the play, everyone kind of huddles up. They group in like a little ball, like a little, which is of like, penguins. it's like a meeting. Correct. Or, or shall I say a family meal?
1: Right. Okay. Hmm.
2: Any gathering of people in close quarters, Okay. No cell phones in a huddle, right? Right. No. You know, you're not checking Facebook. (laughs) There's, there's no Twitter. No. There's focus. Check out that uh, last catch. This thing that's hard to find in today's world. There's focus Mm -hmm. on what's going to happen next, Mm -hmm. and what's going to happen next in a football huddle is is three things, and this is where the trust gets built. There's accountability for what just happened. You're looking each other in the eye. Okay. How many times in the world do we really do this anymore? Now we wait and write this nice little email a day later and make sure it sounds good. No. There's a. There's accountability now. You got to look at people now and you own up, you fess up so we can move forward. I can trust someone that does that. And if you don't, then I know exactly who you are. Talent now becomes irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Either I trust you or I don't. You screwed up. Good. We can deal with that. Okay. Right. There's honesty. How honest are we in real life with everyone anymore? Right? We, 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 we say what we should say. We sound nice. Mm -hmm. Listen, political correctness is killing us in that world. We just say nice things to people because we're supposed to. Mm -hmm. So who do you trust then? If everyone tells you nice things, you know that one person that tells you the truth and you hate them for it at the moment, but later on you, you, you go, you're the only person who will ever tell me the truth. And it hurt. But I can trust you because you're going to tell me like it is. So what happens People in the huddle that. is, well, we need it. Yeah. So the huddle demands it because <laughs> this is the beauty thing about the huddle. Canadian football gives you 20 seconds. American ball gives you 40 seconds. So there's not a lot of time. So without a lot of time, you, cr- you create stress. What happens when you're in a stressful situation? Honesty comes out. Brutal honesty. Br- brutal honesty. Sorry. Brutal honesty, right? Yep. So in the huddle... Everyone's emotional. Clock's ticking. We don't have time to make sure we say it nice. You say what's got to be said. Okay? There, there's no political correctness in the huddle because we don't have time for that nonsense because right. we've got to win this game.
1: Right.
2: So without honesty, there's no trust. Without trust, we can't run a play. So you get accountability with honesty. Bam!
1: Can you take it? Can you
2: not... We got to find out because we got to move forward. I got to know because we're going out to the battlefield again, which is the world, which is life, which is on the field. I need to know if I can trust you. I don't care how fast your forty time is. I don't care, you know, what your highlight reel looked like. You're beside me, and I got to do my job, knowing you're going to do yours. So we got to be able to handle honesty, so we can fix things. And then the last bit of 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 the huddle is the next play, which is great communication. It's focused communication. It's not half communication, right? Every eye is locked on every eye because you got about seven seconds left to hear this play. And we all got to know what we're going to do or someone's going to lose their job. And you do that again and again and again and again. I mean, we went out 60 times, 70 times in a game. Right. And so all of a sudden, it's not about, wow, he's such a great athlete. It's, I can trust this guy. We look at each other eyeball to eyeball. Again and again, we deal with what just happened. Good or the bad. We deal with it with brutal honesty. We're okay being honest with each other because we, we we can trust each other. Because yeah. I need you to be. And then we learn to communicate where... We have to listen. We look each other in the eye and pay full attention to the communication that's happening. How often do we do this in the world, right? You do that again with Very people.
0: infrequently. It freaks people out.
2: But see, but football, it's demanded. Mm. It's demanded. Yeah. So you leave that world. That's the norm. You come into the real world and people are terrified. How can you be? You can't be that honest with people. That's horrible, right? Like, how, how it, can you be so br- blunt? Well, because what else are we doing? Here, people right?
0: can't handle it, for Correct.
2: sure. So we dance around it with all these other nice little things and we got to a place in the world now where people are smarter than ever more information than ever but don't trust anybody Mm. because we won't go to where we gotta go to to get there right the honesty you gotta get to the honesty and so I look back at my upbringing my family meals were no different than the huddles you know six of us plus my two parents and every day it was okay what did you say we're gonna do today did you do it okay, why not? And there's some honesty here now. You know, got to yep. get to the bottom of it. And then let's, let's figure out the problems. Let's deal with great communication. Let's solve the problems that happen. Let's call tomorrow's play. Let's, so you can run the play so we can come home and account for what you did or didn't do. Yep. And we can figure out the issues, and keep moving forward. And it was scary when you bring friends over there like, this is nuts. Like everyone's calling each other out. And this, <laughs> but you know, you realize these are the guys that, these are the people that have your back. Right. And the real world is terrified of this, but they go, why don't we have any trust? Saying because you're not willing to put this in place, so you have these these office meetings that are a bunch of nonsense that everyone hates it because they don't deal with anything, and, and, and one person stands up and talks about the objectives for today. When you know what. Give yourself one minute, put the clock on, crank some noise up. Everyone gets to speak once and you deal with your problems. Put it on the table. Let's figure it out. Let's high five Fridays if everyone gets their tasks done because you won. Let's move forward. And you do that all the time. It's not scary anymore. It's exciting because you want to come in after a win and deal with it. And you're okay with the loss because you want to solve the problems so we can get back to the high five and after the win. Right. And you want the people to tell you when you screwed up because when they pat you on the back next time, it means something. It means something. We have coaches, we have teammates, we have business partners that tell you a good job for everything. I had a quarterback that I got him blasted and he'd tell me good job because he's a nice guy. I said, no, it's not a good job. So how do I know if I'm ever doing a good job? You say right. nice things to me always. Be honest. So I will trust when, when, when a compliment comes out. Right. We need that in today's world. We need honesty more than ever. And so if you if you can balance or, or, or incorporate honesty, accountability, and great communication in an environment again and again with people, I believe you can build trust because I've seen it happen on the field and in my family and that huddle's that great place. A meeting, a a meal, a coffee. But that environment's only half a step. You gotta emphasize those actions. I Mm. need you to be honest with me. And when when we're talking, we are talking. You're not half talking on your phone, okay? And you know what? We gotta hold each other accountable. And you do that with people again and again and again in environments, I believe you build trust that talent can't touch, Mm. that business plans can't touch. you can do things now that other people will never be able to do if they lack that that key
0: ingredient. So what it sounds like you're saying is building that trust muscle up Correct. and a lot of people really have trouble with the brutal honesty aspect <laughs> of things like that's one thing that I think people really shy away from. people are very sensitive to being told that they're wrong. Um, how and let's not speculate on why that is, but let's say somebody's in that spot where they're they're really afraid to take that honest look at themselves and how they're showing up. Uh, how can they confront that so they can start moving into these realms of trust and like, really high performance?
2: Well, two ways. Obviously, there's usually a leader of every meeting. You know, there's a quarterback in every huddle or there's the alpha person in every gathering. Right? Yeah. So it's important that that person is, the, is, is accountable right off the bat and is honest about the shortcomings and shows vulnerability. Right? you got to open the door saying, I'm not here to pick on you. We all got problems. And like I talked about my coach at the beginning, uh, the accountability is for the issue, not you. That's got to be made clear. Like, what went wrong? Okay, that's what we're dealing with not you, you know, unless continuously the problem is your lack of effort. But if, you know, I, I couldn't make the block, whatever, good. How can we help you do that? And let's make this very clear here. We're here to solve problems, not to blame you, okay? The honesty is about the issue, and the accountability is about the issue. I think that needs to be set the set tone by whoever the, the dominant forces in, in, the, in the meeting, and they got to be uh, hyper-accountable at the beginning to let people know, oh, wow, everyone's in on this, and it's not about me, it's about the problem. That's big. Okay. Mm -hmm. But as you mentioned about the muscle, and this is why I called my talk, mastering the skill of trust, because it's a skill like any other skill, Mm. skills need repetition. So you, you know, first time you teach someone to to squat properly, let's use the word properly. They're not going to walk for five days because their hamstrings and glutes have just been destroyed. They've never done this, right? Now they don't ever want to do it again. So what's the best thing you can do for them? You do it again, right? (laughs) Like, let's be very clear here, you know, but it's painful. Correct. Correct. (laughs) So they've got to have the carrot realizing where we're we trying to get to. And you need the leader that's, that's sensitive to get them to that place. Right. So, you know, the, the sensitive guy that's teaching you for, for, for squatting isn't going to scream and yell at you to it. But they're going to ease you back into that place and go, let's do it again. And get you to the place where you've built a little momentum going, wow, I've gotten a little stronger at this. Gotten a little stronger at this. My mm. skill has gotten better. Right? So, you know, you've got to create the environment where...
0: So you're exposing them to it
2: and you reward them for doing it.
0: Okay. You reward
2: them for that honesty. Big time. You praise them for the honesty. You praise them for squatting to a level. That's going to rip their glutes and hamstrings up. And then you praise them for coming back into that pit of terror and torture and and demise because you realize the long-term objective again is that end vision that we talked about. Where are you trying to get to? This is helping you get there. We need to get there to get there. Okay. That's the care. Remember this is helping us and you're doing the right thing. You praise it. You praise it. You praise it. You're in there with them. And like any other skill or any other uh, muscle, a little bit of reps builds, builds a little bit more confidence, which builds a little more want to, to chase that confidence, chase the reps, and off you go. So at the beginning, you know, just like any personal trainer doesn't macho you, they, they, they humble themselves down saying, I'm just here with you. They're not trying to show you why they're better than you. They, they expose vulnerability and issues, so you feel okay going down this journey with them. And then, you know, you you try it the first time. You're praised very well for going past your comfort zone. They hold your hand to bring you back into that squat cage or that meeting room and say, you know, we're going to do this again because you did such a good job last time. And boy, do I need that honesty more than ever because I'm really loving it from you. Make sure you're holding me as accountable as I am for you. We're both in this together. And then as they build it up, like anything else, uh, you become a little more comfortable. Look, I was terrified in my first huddles as a pro football player. Mm. Terrified. You know, I screw up. I come back in this 10-year vet. He's cussing me out. And it's not because he's, he, he, he thinks I suck. He wants to win. And we gotta, we got we to gotta fix what was wrong. I, and I realized quickly it wasn't that I was wrong. It was what I was doing was wrong. So let's get that on the table. Let's fix it and move forward. And then we become able to solve problems instead hmm. of hiding from problems. Instead of guarding our ego and scared of the truth because it hurts – craving the truth because that's where improvement lies and that has to be again what are you trying to get in life let's remind where we're trying to get to this is what it takes I'm in it with you we're going to do this together and each time you do it you get a little bit stronger until you get to the point where you turn to someone that craves it demands it needs it because you realize that is the road to greatness
0: mm. that's amazing yeah I think you're, you're talking about turning a room of like you know mild to mediocre performers into a bunch of killers over time yeah. like eventually time. yeah time. like they're going to move people into that really powerful place and that's when you can get so much done. Yeah. Like if you can get your team to that place, yeah. then they're dedicated and they're not afraid of making mistakes and they're just going for it right. 100%. I mean, that's a game changer for any company. And,
2: yeah, and I think you, you hit the nail on, on the head where it's the long term. There's a chapter in my book that talks about you know, always remembering the big picture. And I was, you know, it was <clears throat> my first year with, with, with Coach Dan. And, you know, I had the worst game of my entire career. And here I'm watching game film and every every play was a minus And I think my life's over, right? And he turned it into, he, he cracked some humor and kind of reminded me, it's about what we do next. And I had to remember that I couldn't be a great player in a day. And, you know, if you have your vision, you have your goal, and type A guys want it now. Mm. Right? And that's where the mentor and the coach, you know, I heard this from a, a national level sprint coach one time. And he said, you know, Angus, I know when I got the great players, and my job to hold them back, not to push them. Mm. And, and, and you know, that's not, people are who they are, and you got to deal with everyone individually. But I want it now and I'm getting frustrated because I don't have what you're talking about right now. Yeah. That's okay. And the great coach now has to, has to really not try to drive you there now because it's just going to lead to frustration, yeah. hold you back. And it's what we're doing right now that matters. The vision's there to make sure your next step keeps moving forward, but it's just a step. Mm-hmm. You can't yeah. have you jumping off the, the – jumping because you, it's, it's, you're on the side of the, the, the Grand Canyon right now. You're going to fall. And it's about understanding. It's a process. And you know I, when I did my TEDx talk, I talked about the two essentials to learning any skill is focus and frequency. So how frequently can you get full focus to what you're doing again and again and again, and it speeds it up. And I talked about the beauty of the huddle was,
0: you know, you're we'll, repping that. We'll
2: huddle 70 times in three hours. Yeah. Okay. Where most people might get 70 reps of that in five months and football, we can really speed that process up. But most people, that's just too much too fast. Right. So whether it's, it's the intense, day, whether it's the yeah. daily huddle, the weekly huddle, I mean, it all comes down to how much can you handle like any workout? How fast can you recover? Yeah. Emotionally, physically, right? That was really scary. I need a couple days to build up the courage or I want in again, I'm good. And the more frequently you can give full focus, and I believe focus can't be done very long. This is why the football huddle is genius. It's 30 seconds. You know, so your staff meetings, two minutes, uh, you know, your workouts aren't six hours a day. They're short as opposed to what people think. I'd rather do 20 minute workout every day, right? You want to get strong. You do half hour of the movement every single day instead of two hours, once every five days. It's, it's the frequency. Volume. It's, well, it's frequency over time. Volume over time, right? right. So how right. many times can you keep going back to that full focus? Mm. And as soon as you've lost full focus, you're, you're not productive anymore in what you're doing. You're wasting You're scattered. Correct. Energy's Correct. all over the place. Correct. Yeah. So you know, building trust is how frequently can we hit that brutal honesty, direct accountability, and great communication? Maybe it's 20 seconds. Done. Done. <laughs> okay? Done. Because that was a load for a lot of people. That first shot. Wow. Right. Okay, shake it off, <laughs> come back tomorrow. Because you put someone in two hours of brutal honesty, they're, they're going to run off a cliff, That's right? right? Yeah, yeah. So you hit it, and you back off, and you hit it again, and you get to a point where that can become daily. And then you get to a point where you trust people enough, just how you live. You got, That takes time, right? You said right. You these killers, that, that they can't live any other way now. That takes time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That and I imagine
0: time. at the pro level, you're going to get way more of those types that can handle that. Well, A, they've been doing it for their whole lives probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if they're not at that pro level and they're not at that really high performance level in an organization, and a company, and a team, um, how do people get to that level of motivation? And maybe we talked about this a little bit earlier, but how, like, how can people really find that spark of motivation so they can become a high performer and can deal with that intensity that you just brought up? Well, it
2: comes down to what do you want. I can't make you care about something. So, you know, I think that the initial exercise for anybody is – you know, I don't care what you call it. Some people call it finding your mission statement, your purpose statement, whatever you want to do. I'm just telling people, what do you want? What do you want? Like, if you're just doing the job to get a paycheck, then all this high performance stuff doesn't matter anyways. What do you want? What do you really want to do in life? And again, don't, I'm, I'm hesitant to say, don't choose the career. Just what do you want to do with your time? And mm-hmm. we'll find any, there's a million things you can do with that. So don't say, well, you know, I got to be a, a doctor. dentist. Why? Like, let's make sure that's aligning with what you really want to do with your time on this earth. Like, we, we have finite time here. What are the things you enjoy doing? Is is, is it helping people? Communicating with people? Is it solving uh, big problems? Is it being physically active? Like, what turns your crank? And then, once we know that, now now I know the character to to to, to show you why you got to do these things every day because it's going right. to get you what you want. But if, if I don't know what you want, and if you don't know what you want, then all this stuff is nonsense, mm. right? People read all these books and listen to all these podcasts of the Road to Happiness. Well that's all predicated on knowing what happiness means to you that's true right so you know if we're not there then all this is 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 theory i, I can tell so you so you're how getting we, really
0: clear on what's important
2: crystal clear right yeah. i mean some people don't start clear if they start vague that's fine you got to start somewhere right uh, uh, you know you 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 build your statue out of a lump of clay and you keep carving it down until you have perfection but you got to start analogy. somewhere yeah yeah and not everybody knows how to go there wants to go there they just want to go to the end i just want to be happy well i don't i don't want to think about all stuff well then then we're wasting all of our time Mm. then you know what you might as well eat sugar because at least it gives you a nice dopamine release right off the bat or whatever it gives you (laughs) right you might as well just chase chase pleasure which Mm. is a dangerous thing you might as well just chase pleasure you might as well uh buy clothes every day eat whatever you want distract yourself watch entertaining shows exactly you might as well fill your life with distractions because if you don't know what you want at least at least you'll be at least you'll be momentarily uh happy with these distractions how did you
0: get so clear because obviously you're very motivated you're very you're very certain of what you want to do what you want to put out there and how you want to help people. How Unworked. did you get so clear insecurity?
2: Mm. I was the youngest of five boys I'm very honest about this uh worship my brothers they they were they're five six seven eight years older than me so they were old enough that I grew up watching them play sports and all the things they're my heroes so I grew up with this massive insecurity complex that I, I will never be as good as them and, and don't misunderstand me they're the greatest brothers you could ever imagine they, they you know they they were great to me. I was young enough that I wasn't uh, I wasn't competitive with them. I was their little mascot, little buddy that they bring out to the games. All I wanted to do was what what they did and how they did it. But I built this inferiority complex that I could never be as good as my brothers. Hmm. And when you're the youngest boy of five, uh, you know youngest of five boys, and, and you and you see your your brothers as gods, you you you're driven to have have to become relevant in my hmm. own family. I got to do something amazing. And that sounds very surface level, but it it, it got me. It got me motivated to the point that I dug deep, going, well, "How? Okay, what? What? What can I do?" So right. it makes you think. Of, you're what? always a smaller. You're always right. like less
0: developed than they are. Well, you
2: know, yeah, you're always the little brother trying to be somebody. And I'm going to their huge events and their huge games and you know and doing all their amazing things. Going, I was always the the fan for them. Right. And it's hard for you know a fan always wants to be like the player. Mm-hmm. But I'm growing up, going, "Okay, how can I be a player?" So it forced me to dig. What do I got? What can I bring to the table that that is that 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 I've been given? It's going to give me an opportunity to do something that I think might be great. Mm-hmm. And so even as a teenager, I became very self-aware because I was insecure. Insecure about being somebody in my own family. And so I don't really care for people what motivates them to go down that road. And some people say, oh, that's the wrong motivation. No, it's not. You know, you know, you know what? The best motivation, motivation, is motivation is whatever makes you take action. Right. right? It's, it's, it's whatever causes you to go take action. So I don't care what the, what, what's, what's, what's going to make you start. It's whatever's going to make you start is going to get you going. And then you get down the road, and, and you find out the real motivations. Because I'm not driven by that anymore. Right. You know, now I'm driven by uh, maximizing what I found that I can offer, and making sure I bring as much value to the world with what I got as possible. But it was insecurity that got me down the road, going, "I got to do something great. I got it. I got it. I got it." So, what can I do? So you start taking inventory. What's my best shot? Well, hmm. oh, boy, I love entertaining. I love. I love being big and strong. Okay, you know, and my my family played all sports, so I I was into sports, but kind of football works for that, and. I'm going to do whatever it takes now to be successful because that's going to make me relevant. And then going down that road showed me, wow, do I love pushing myself to, to, to new levels? Do I love going deep down this have rabbit hole as possible? Boy, do I love the, the quiet training, the time alone, the studying, the discipline of of, of, of not being lazy. I like I loved it all. Yeah. And what I realized was it's got nothing with football. That was just an outlet that let me pursue those things. Yeah. And that was a comforting feeling later in my career when I was done going sure I'll miss playing football but I can do those things doing anything totally and they they they're, they're yours you know nothing can be taken away from you so in short it was insecurity so I think people need to know either they're willing to to go down the road of who they are and if they're not willing to go down there yet what's going to make them tick and that's going to force them to go down the road because once you find out what makes you tick uh, you can use that as a carrot to go okay well to maximize this we got to figure out you know what what you love to do so we can we can put totally. in the right outlet. And then when you're in the right outlet, you're probably going to be happy and want more of it. Okay, you want more of it. Then we can go down these trust roads and all these other things. Going, okay, this is the things that are going to maximize it. Mm-hmm. Now you're already fired up to do it. You have some incentive. But if you're not there, this is all nonsense. If you're just doing something, do something, you don't care, then high performance talk, who cares? It's a lot of work and it's scary.
0: Yeah. It
2: just ends up being a lot of work.
0: Yeah. Right? Totally. Well, I really love how you turned all that discipline and hard work into your passion. Like you actually love like the isolation and the study love and it. the hard work and like putting on all the back work and like, cause you probably knew that that's getting you to where Correct. you want to go. Correct. And so many people get so lost in like the frivolous, like the fun, let's go have fun. Just enjoy the day. I get that too. Of course you want to enjoy the day, but people who are great really do like just dive into their craft yeah. or whatever that happens to be. And I think yeah, that's a perfect example of what you said right there. Yeah. So. I
2: think they kind of live the iceberg rule. You know where the world sees the tip, right? Most people on the outside chase that tip, right? They they they, they want that, and then it's not willing to go. Okay, well this is what it really is, and it's not. You have to painfully do this to get that. That's where the love is. That ninety percent. This is the icing on a very delicious cake that you see at the end, right? Like I have to play the games, but if that's what you chased, and that's and then that's what mattered to you, then everything else was grueling, and then you missed the point. Because 90% of your life was doing something you hated so you could have 10% of the fun. Mm. Like that's, I mean, they yeah. t- people use these words, you love the grind, love whatever. It wasn't a grind to me. No, you love the you work. You love doing the work. I, lo- I love yeah. the work. Yeah. So, I mean, I loved the workouts, the the, the the disciplined eating, the sleeping. That I didn't go on a vacation for 15 or 20 mm. years because you know why? I didn't want to because that didn't allow me to do the things I love to do. You talk about being obsessed and whatnot. Well, it was being happy. Mm. It's happy yeah, that for me too. made happy. So, mm-hmm. you know if, if if i'm not maximizing what I love to do then I am not being uh, not, i'm not I'm, I'm not being grateful for the gifts that I've chosen to pursue I'm, I'm neglecting it a little bit maybe i'm skewed thinking that but I can say that with a happy with a happy smile and and and, and a full heart, so yeah. I'm not lying to myself. I could definitely so I'm okay relate.
0: With it. Like, I, I one aspect of playing football that I really loved was the training and all the practicing and like the games. Like the game, the game is a tip of the iceberg in football for sure. That's what people see. Yeah. But then everything else is like so much uh, back end work that goes in to make that happen. And I think that's uh, that's I think what a lot of people don't see like on the social media posts of success or whatever, yeah. right? So
2: yeah, I think social media is funny now because they've tried to. Hate using this word "grind" because it's such a buzzword. But they you know, <laughs> try to glorify it now because people video the workouts and the, the ice tubs and the physio, <laughs> right. and they're showing everything now, right? Right. And they're trying to glamorize it, which whatever, it is what it is. And I think in the end, it's just voyeurism. People just like to watch it because you don't actually want to do that stuff because mm. it they is don't. really hard, right? Yeah. But I didn't. I didn't do it for the world to see. I was quite happy, no one, no one ever knowing, because that's not why I did it. I, I like the knowledge that today, I pushed the envelope a little farther. Right. You know the training, whatever. I, I got better today, and I knew that when I when I retired, it was because I've, I, I'm getting. I'm not 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 saying I'm getting worse, but I, there was, I was 37 years old. I couldn't get better anymore. I was mm. I was deteriorating, falling apart. So it's time to not do this anymore. It's time to not do something that I can't improve at. If I'm if I'm just doing it because I can do it, all the wrong reasons out the window. Right. Let's go. Let's go down another hole that I can that I can improve every day at. I couldn't improve every day at football anymore. I was I was holding on, and that to me wasn't worth the effort it took. I wanted to put the effort into getting better,
0: and I, I just physically was done. There was no there. I couldn't get better. That's amazing. So, so what's, I, what so
1: what sort of habits do you have to do now for the work that you currently do with all the speaking gigs and now the writing as well? Like what habits? Like what's your new practice? What's your new working out? I mean, obviously, I'm sure you still take care of yourself, health and wellness wise. But I'm trying to like yeah. you know. You mentioned journaling. Uh, it's reps. Yeah, everything. Is Do you reps. read a lot? I read.
2: I read. So I'm an I'm an I'm an early riser by nature. Yeah, you know, I'm up. I set my alarm for five, but I never make it. I'm like a four forty-five. I just wake up, uh, read every morning. Uh, usually in the morning, I try to read you know, positive stuff, psychology stuff, right? Just to kind of wire me again to 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 making sure my mind is right. I try to journal a little bit. You know, I'll try to come up with my play of the day. You know, what's the one thing that's going to make my life better today? The one thing. And then, and then all your periphery stuff like chores and things you got to get done because life gets busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I will base. I will try to speak as much as off, as possible. And this may sound crazy, but I, I do a ton of reps at home. So my talks I'll, I'll do in front of the mirror a lot, even
0: though I've done them for 10 years. How often do you, like, rehearse the talk?
2: I, I don't rehearse. I, I don't rehearse. Practice would be a better word. Uh, almost all the time in the car. Yeah. You know, just going through pace workshopping new things. I keep a notepad everywhere because every once in a while I'll come up with a new line or new phrase that mm. maybe states it better than mm-hmm. I used to. Gotta to write it down, then go home, make sure it works in correctly. Uh, but I, I try to get real life reps as much as possible. Mm. Because as much as you enjoy it, every single talk is different, even if it's the same talk. It's always different. There's always a new challenge. There's a different room. There's a different acoustics, different crowd that sometimes there's someone you can't connect with. So I I say yes as much as I can to speaking. You know, and I, I like the volume of it because to me it keeps me sharp. It keeps me in game shape, you know, mm-hmm. where a lot of people, uh, practice is great, but there's a difference between game reps when you're an athlete and game reps when you're a speaker, game reps when you're doing anything. And so speaking's been great, but I've been doing it for a long time. The writing part, again, this first book that came out, it's, it's, it's terrifying for me. Hmm. I mean, it's one thing to, to, to speak a message, I think to write one. Being a writer is a different world, and so that was why I went down it, because I wanted to keep growing, keep expanding. And so to do that, I started writing I don't want to call them blogs because they're more like articles, 2,000 right. word articles. I started writing stuff about my life, my family, upbringing, and posting them. And it was one to just start getting writing out there. Yeah. Uh, get get on, Good exercise. Yeah, get on time feedback. Realize, yeah. or, you know, do, is this resonating with anybody? Yeah. But for me, getting through the fear of just throwing it out there, right. and just writing anything, just throwing it out there. But it kept me in the writing spirit, too, to sit down and write the bigger parts of my book. And speaking now, what's what's turning my crank is coming up with new topics. Like this. this... Trust Talk, the TEDx, was the first time I ever get, did it. Cool. I came up with it. So it's now it's, it's, okay, what else can I come up with? Because I can do some of my old ones in, the sleep, in my sleep now, right? I've done right. it for so long. So it's, okay, what else matters? What else is of value? What else have I learned that I might have a unique perspective from football or whatever else that I can, that I can add, to, add to the conversation? And that was the point of the trust one. People talk about, it. okay, how can I bring football into the equation? How can I take what I've learned and, and maybe help people understand concepts better, or show them what's worked for me from an angle they've probably never heard of it from or, or thought of it from. And as long as I, as long as people seem interested and I think I'm bringing value, I'm just gonna keep going. Cool. I'm gonna keep going because I, you know, to me it's all about gratitude. Now it's about trying to thank everyone that's helped me by paying it forward with the messages of all the lessons I've learned and hopefully helping others. That have questions that maybe, maybe some of my experiences might be able to guide them towards finding their own answers.
0: Well, sir, I think that is uh, an excellent place to wrap it up today. And I'm really excited to have you out at the Man Talks event this October, October 22nd, I believe. Um, how can people get a hold of you if they want to reach you? So,
2: my site is angusreed64.com. I think the, the email there might be info or angus at angusreed64.com. Either way, it comes right to me. So, you're talking to me. Uh, it has my speaking stuff up there, it has some videos. Uh, It has some articles. Mid-September, my book should launch. So at that point, uh, I think we'll, retail-wise, it'll just be driven through Amazon. But I'll I'll have bulk orders because it'll be through my speaking events. Uh, So that'll be up there. Very, very proud of that book. That one, again, is on the power of mentorship. It's on the impact coaches have on the people that they deal with. Far beyond their moment of interaction. So that's the real the real touch of, of this book is the impact you're having on someone to shape their life.
0: So it'll be a great book for like leaders, coaches, coaches yeah, managers, whatever. The, the
2: thought was the initial audience is obviously football coaches and maybe football fans. There's enough football in there. If you're a fan, you're gonna love going down that, that rabbit hole. But if you're not a football fan, you're not gonna be lost. I didn't I didn't make this hardcore football book. Right. It's just the it's just the platform I have. It's the information right. I have. So that's the entry level. And I think you're right. The goal is people realize this is a leadership book and mm. it's, it's a leadership book that I believe is unique in the fact that it's not written by a leader on how to lead. It's written on someone that was led. Mm. So I'm to talking cool. to leaders about the impact mm. you're having on people. Cause I'm that person. Right. So I'm not the leader going, this is how you lead people. I'm the person talking to leaders going, Who inspired what you? you guys are doing. This is, what, this is the effect it's having on someone for the rest of their life. So you understand the importance of every interaction you have with someone. You are shaping the rest of their life, for good or for bad. So keep that in mind with whatever you're teaching them, business, music, sports. You're teaching life through that skill, uh, through that interaction. And I'm the testament of saying if you do it right, you can change somebody forever for better.
1: Very, very cool. I love that
0: angle. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for speaking at Man Talks. I'm looking forward to it. I think this episode will be out in a couple weeks. Excellent. Um, anything else you want to get out there today, Mike? No,
1: that's it. It's, it's awesome to be behind, back behind the helm. And yeah. uh, looking forward to tomorrow. we got a double header. so Exactly. Wow, so, yep.
0: VancouverReal.tv, floathouse.ca, Vancouver Real for a 20% discount on a single float. Yes. And until next time,
1: to whatever is. To whatever
0: is.